Chapter Fifteen of A Legend of Montrose. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. A Legend of Montrose by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter Fifteen but if no faithless action stain thy true and constant word i'll make thee famous by my pen and glorious by my sword i'll serve thee in such noble ways as ne'er were known before i'll deck and crown thy head with bays and love thee more and more montrose's lines we must now leave with whatever regret the valiant captain dalgetty to recover of his wounds or otherwise as fate shall determine in order briefly to trace the military operations of montrose worthy as they are of a more important page and a better historian by the assistance of the chieftains whom we have commemorated and more especially by the junction of the murrays stuarts and other clans of athol which were peculiarly zealous in the royal cause he soon assembled an army of two or three thousand highlanders to whom he successfully united the irish under colkitto this last leader who to the great embarrassment of milton's commentators is commemorated in one of that great poet's sonnets was properly named alister or alexander macdonnell by birth a scottish isleman and related to the earl of antrim to whose patronage he owed the command assigned him in the irish troops in many respects he merited this distinction he was brave to intrepidity and almost to insensibility very strong and active in person completely master of his weapons and always ready to show the example in the extremity of danger to counterbalance these good qualities it must be recorded that he was inexperienced in military tactics and of a jealous and presumptuous disposition which often lost to montrose the fruits of colquito's gallantry yet such is the predominance of outward personal qualities in the eyes of a mild people that the feats of strength and courage shown by this champion seem to have made a stronger impression upon the minds of the highlanders than the military skill and chivalrous spirit of the great marquis of montrose numerous traditions are still preserved in the highland glens concerning alister macdonnell though the name of montrose is rarely mentioned among them milton's book entitled tetracordon has been ridiculed it would seem by the divines assembled at westminster and others on account of the hardness of the title and milton in his sonnet retaliates upon the barbarous scottish names which the civil war had made familiar to english ears why is it harder sirs than gordon colquito or macdonald or gallasp these rugged names to our like mouths grow sleek that would have made quintilian stare and gasp we may suppose says bishop newton that these were persons of note among the scotch ministers 
who were for pressing and enforcing the covenant whereas milton only intends to ridicule the barbarism of scottish names in general and quotes indiscriminately that of gillespie one of the apostles of the covenant and those of colcato and macdonnell both belonging to one person one of its bitterest enemies the point upon which montrose finally assembled his little army was in strathern on the verge of the highlands of perthshire so as to menace the principal town of that county his enemies were not unprepared for his reception argyle at the head of his highlanders was dogging the steps of the irish from the west to the east and by force fear or influence had collected an army nearly sufficient to have given battle to that under montrose the lowlands were also prepared for reasons which we assigned at the beginning of this tale a body of six thousand infantry and six or seven thousand cavalry which profanely assumed the title of god's army had been hastily assembled from the shires of fife angus perth stirling and the neighbouring counties a much less force in former times nay even in the preceding reign would have been sufficient to have secured the lowlands against a more formidable descent of highlanders than those united under montrose but times had changed strangely within the last half-century before that period the lowlanders were as constantly engaged in war as the mountaineers and were incomparably better disciplined and armed the favourite scottish order of battle somewhat resembled the macedonian phalanx their infantry formed a compact body armed with long spears impenetrable even to the men-at-arms of the age though well mounted and arrayed in complete proof it may easily be conceived therefore that their ranks could not be broken by the disorderly charge of highland infantry armed for close combat only with swords and ill-furnished with missile weapons and having no artillery whatever this habit of fight was in a great measure changed by the introduction of muskets into the scottish lowland service which not being as yet combined with the bayonet was a formidable weapon at a distance but gave no assurance against the enemy who rushed on to close quarters the pike indeed was not wholly disused in the scottish army but it was no longer the favourite weapon nor was it relied upon as formerly by those in whose hands it was placed insomuch that daniel lupton a tactician of the day has written a book expressly upon the superiority of the musket this change commenced as early as the wars of gustavus adolphus whose marches were made with such rapidity that the pike was very soon thrown aside in his army and exchanged for firearms a circumstance which necessarily accompanied this change as well as the establishment of standing armies whereby war became a trade was the introduction of a laborious and complicated system of discipline combining a variety of words of command with corresponding operations and manoeuvres the neglect of any one of which was sure to throw the whole into confusion 
war therefore as practised among most nations of europe had assumed much more than formerly the character of a profession or mystery to which previous practice and experience were indispensable requisites such was the natural consequence of standing armies which had almost everywhere and particularly in the long german wars superseded what may be called the natural discipline of the feudal militia the scottish lowland militia therefore laboured under a double disadvantage when opposed to highlanders they were divested of the spear a weapon which in the hands of their ancestors had so often repelled the impetuous assaults of the mountaineer and they were subjected to a new and complicated species of discipline well adapted perhaps to the use of regular troops who could be rendered completely masters of it but tending only to confuse the ranks of citizen soldiers by whom it was rarely practised and imperfectly understood so much has been done in our own time in bringing back tactics to their first principles and in getting rid of the pedantry of war that it is easy for us to estimate the disadvantages under which a half-trained militia laboured who were taught to consider success as depending upon their exercising with precision a system of tactics which they probably only so far comprehended as to find out when they were wrong but without the power of getting right again neither can it be denied that in the material points of military habits and warlike spirit the lowlanders of the seventeenth century had sunk far beneath their highland countrymen from the earliest period down to the union of the crowns the whole kingdom of scotland lowlands as well as highlands had been the constant scene of war foreign and domestic and there was probably scarce one of its hardy inhabitants between the age of sixteen and sixty who was not as willing in point of fact as he was literally bound in law to assume arms at the first call of his liege lord or of a royal proclamation the law remained the same in sixteen hundred and forty-five as a hundred years before but the race of those subjected to it had been bred up under very different feelings they had sat in quiet under their vine and under their fig-tree and a call to battle involved a change of life as new as it was disagreeable such of them also who lived near unto the highlands were in continual and disadvantageous contact with the restless inhabitants of those mountains by whom their cattle were driven off their dwellings plundered and their persons insulted and who had acquired over them that sort of superiority arising from a constant system of aggression the lowlanders who lay more remote and out of reach of these depredations were influenced by the exaggerated reports circulated concerning the highlanders whom as totally differing in laws language and dress they were induced to regard as a nation of savages equally void of fear and of humanity these various prepossessions joined to the less warlike habits of the lowlanders and their imperfect knowledge of the new and complicated system of discipline 
for which they had exchanged their natural mode of fighting placed them at great disadvantage when opposed to the highlander in the field of battle the mountaineers on the contrary with the arms and courage of their fathers possessed also their simple and natural system of tactics and bore down with the fullest confidence upon an enemy to whom anything they had been taught of discipline was like saul's armour upon david a hindrance rather than a help because they had not proved it it was with such disadvantages on the one side and such advantages on the other to counterbalance the difference of superior numbers and the presence of artillery and cavalry that montrose encountered the army of lord elcho upon the field of tippermuir the presbyterian clergy had not been wanting in their efforts to rouse the spirit of their followers and one of them who harangued the troops on the very day of battle hesitated not to say that if ever god spoke by his mouth he promised them in his name that day a great and assured victory the cavalry and artillery were also reckoned sure warrants of success as the novelty of their attack had upon former occasions been very discouraging to the highlanders the place of meeting was an open heath and the ground afforded little advantage to either party except that it allowed the horse of the covenanters to act with effect a battle upon which so much depended was never more easily decided the lowland cavalry made a show of charging but whether thrown into disorder by the fire of musketry or deterred by a disaffection to the service said to have prevailed among the gentlemen they made no impression on the highlanders whatever and recoiled in disorder from ranks which had neither bayonets nor pikes to protect them montrose saw and instantly availed himself of this advantage he ordered his whole army to charge which they performed with the wild and desperate valour peculiar to mountaineers one officer of the covenanters alone trained in the italian wars made a desperate defence upon the right wing in every other point their line was penetrated at the first onset and this advantage once obtained the lowlanders were utterly unable to contend at close quarters with their more agile and athletic enemies many were slain on the held and such a number in the pursuit that above one-third of the covenanters were reported to have fallen in which number however must be computed a great many fat burgesses who broke their wind in the flight and thus died without stroke of sword we choose to quote our authority for a fact so singular a great many burgesses were killed twenty-five householders in st andrews many were bursten in the flight and died without stroke c bailey's letters volume two page ninety two the victors obtained possession of perth and obtained considerable sums of money as well as ample supplies of arms and ammunition but those advantages were to be balanced against an almost insurmountable inconvenience that uniformly attended a highland army the clans could be in no respect 
induced to consider themselves as regular soldiers or to act as such even so late as the year seventeen forty five to seventeen forty six when the chevalier charles edward by way of making an example caused a soldier to be shot for desertion the highlanders who composed his army were affected as much by indignation as by fear they could not conceive any principle of justice upon which a man's life could be taken for merely going home when it did not suit him to remain longer with the army such had been the uniform practice of their fathers when a battle was over the campaign was in their opinion ended if it was lost they sought safety in their mountains if won they returned there to secure their booty at other times they had their cattle to look after and their harvest to sow or reap without which their families would have perished for want in either case there was an end of their services for the time and though they were easily enough recalled by the prospect of fresh adventures and more plunder yet the opportunity of success was in the meantime lost and could not afterwards be recovered this circumstance serves to show even if history had not made us acquainted with the same fact that the highlanders had never been accustomed to make war with the view of permanent conquest but only with the hope of deriving temporary advantage or deciding some immediate quarrel it also explains the reason why montrose with all his splendid successes never obtained any secure or permanent footing in the lowlands and why even those lowland noblemen and gentlemen who were inclined to the royal cause showed diffidence and reluctance to join an army of a character so desultory and irregular as might lead them at all times to apprehend that the highlanders securing themselves by a retreat to their mountains would leave whatever lowlanders might have joined them to the mercy of an offended and predominant enemy the same consideration will also serve to account for the sudden marches which montrose was obliged to undertake in order to recruit his army in the mountains and for the rapid changes of fortune by which we often find him obliged to retreat from before those enemies over whom he had recently been victorious if there should be any who read these tales for any further purpose than that of immediate amusement they will find these remarks not unworthy of their recollection it was owing to such causes the slackness of the lowland loyalists and the temporary desertion of his highland followers that montrose found himself even after the decisive victory of tippermuir in no condition to face the second army with which argyle advanced upon him from the westward in this emergency supplying by velocity the want of strength he moved suddenly from perth to dundee and being refused admission into that town fell northward upon aberdeen where he expected to be joined by the gordons and other loyalists but the zeal of these gentlemen was for the time effectually bridled by a large body of covenanters commanded by the lord burley and supposed to amount to three thousand men these montrose boldly attacked with half their number 
the battle was fought under the walls of the city and the resolute valour of montrose's followers was again successful against every disadvantage but it was the fate of this great commander always to gain the glory but seldom to reap the fruits of victory he had scarcely time to repose his small army in aberdeen ere he found on the one hand that the gordons were likely to be deterred from joining him by the reasons we have mentioned with some others peculiar to their chief the marquis of huntley on the other hand argyle whose forces had been augmented by those of several lowland noblemen advanced towards montrose at the head of an army much larger than he had yet had to cope with these troops moved indeed with slowness corresponding to the cautious character of their commander but even that caution rendered argyle's approach formidable since his very advance implied that he was at the head of an army irresistibly superior there remained one mode of retreat open to montrose and he adopted it he threw himself into the highlands where he could set pursuit at defiance and where he was sure in every glen to recover those recruits who had left his standard to deposit their booty in their native fastnesses it was thus that the singular character of the army which montrose commanded while on the one hand it rendered his victory in some degree nugatory enabled him on the other under the most disadvantageous circumstances to secure his retreat recruit his forces and render himself more formidable than ever to the enemy before whom he had lately been unable to make a stand on the present occasion he threw himself into badenoch and rapidly traversing that district as well as the neighbouring country of athol he alarmed the covenanters by successive attacks upon various unexpected points and spread such general dismay that repeated orders were dispatched by the parliament to argyle their commander to engage and disperse montrose at all rates these commands from his superiors neither suited the haughty spirit nor the temporizing and cautious policy of the nobleman to whom they were addressed he paid accordingly no regard to them but limited his efforts to intrigues among montrose's few lowland followers many of whom had become disgusted with the prospect of a highland campaign which exposed their persons to intolerable fatigue and left their estates at the covenanters mercy accordingly several of them left montrose's camp at this period he was joined however by a body of forces of more congenial spirit and far better adapted to the situation in which he found himself this reinforcement consisted of a large body of highlanders whom colkitto dispatched for that purpose had levied in argyleshire among the most distinguished was john of moidart called the captain of clan ronald with the stuarts of appin the clan gregor the clan macnab and other tribes of inferior distinction by these means montrose's army was so formidably increased that argyle cared no longer to remain in the command of that opposed to him but returned to edinburgh and there threw up his commission 
under pretence that his army was not supplied with reinforcements and provisions in the manner in which they ought to have been from thence the marquis returned to inverary there in full security to govern his feudal vassals and patriarchal followers and to repose himself in safety on the faith of the clan proverb already quoted it is a far cry to lochow chapter fifteen